Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio, Dispatches from the Verge. Today, David Morrison and I sit down and talk about um, sort of the spiritual path, uh, the spiritual evolution, and three steps in and around it, uh, the purgative, the illuminative, and the unitive way, and how that uh, facilitates transformation or um, lends itself to a transformative way. And those the first three things come from uh, John of the Cross, Dark Knight of the Soul, um, and we sort of add the, the transformative side of it and our perspective and experience with it. But before we get into that, thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to Jacob Netty at Monk Drums. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, theruined.com is the place to go. drcrpod.com is a place to find other episodes of uh, not only this podcast, Dispatches from the Verge, but also Road to Desert Rain. Um, you can also find those wherever you found this episode. Dreamwalkerway.com is the place to go to pick up a copy of Desolate Beauty, uh, The Book of Life and Shadow, or it is now available on Kindle. If you go to the Amazon Kindle store and search Desolate Beauty, you'll be able to find David's book there as well. Uh, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio. Here we are. David Morrison. <laughs> Mr. Mason. <laughs> Happy Wednesday. It feels like a weird so. week. It is a strange week. Um, today we are going to delve into um I think I think the most concise way to put it is uh spiritual evolution. Um around and round and up we go sort of idea. And um sort of these three three steps and and an ultimate uh i don't want to say conclusion because it it's it's continuously happening it's yeah. not it's not a linear thing so i'm going to go ahead and just pass pass it to you and and maybe you can lay out the three steps and the what we're growing towards and then we can take the conversation from there yeah so in the classic christian mystic tradition or the contemplative tradition, the general consensus of summarizing it, the spiritual union toward God, moving the soul's motion towards God. You've got all kinds of different metaphors. Uh, you have, you know, a, a ladder, which is problematic because you're ascending. Uh, there's Mar Mount Carmel, which is St. Uh, John of the Cross wrote a book called The Ascent to Mount Carmel. That's right. Um, you have St. Teresa of Avila's uh, mansions. Mm -hmm. I believe there are seven rooms or seven mansions. I don't remember. Uh, I think it's rooms within yeah. the mansion, yeah. So, but I'm, I also might be misremembering that, so. <laughs> fact, fact check, <clears throat> Wikipedia. But if you summarize kind of all of them, it it comes down to three, maybe possibly four identifiable stages like you said though they bleed into one another because we're talking about spirit and soul development 
and eternity. They're not, uh, they're not sequential at all. So they could be happening simultaneously with, uh, with each other. And so that's why the latter and the, those things are, are difficult to, yeah. to uh, assess. Yeah. So there we go. And can you lay out with those three? Oh yeah. I guess that would be helpful. <laughs> <wouldn't it? laughs> can you, can you let the people know what we're talking about? Hey, dumbass. <laughs> so the first one in classic contemplation, classic, classic mystic, Christianity is the purgative way. Right. And not to be, uh, so then the second one would be the illuminative way. And the third would be uh, the unitive. And then some would add a fourth, the transformative, but others would say transformation is just kind of the result of each mm -hmm. of those three. You know, your transformation is the, 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 the result mm -hmm. of, of, moving any kind of motion movement towards the divine. So depends so, on how you want to say it. Yeah. And so starting with the, you know, you kind of laid out the fact that they don't necessarily, they aren't necessarily sequential, but and for the sake of our podcast, we will take them sequentially. And so the purgator, um, purgative way um, is sort of the, the way I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, is sort of the, the laying out of the rules maybe, um, or, or sort of do this and don't do that yeah. sort of, um, I don't want to say basic because it, you know, but just the kind of getting into that black and white area, you know, we talk a lot about recovery on this. So you gave the example the other day of, of the sobriety and in, in the, of just not drinking early on, yeah. just cutting out the, the alcohol or the substance and using that as sort of a, um, I don't know, a North star of, of pass fail in that the purgative side. So maybe you can elaborate yeah. a little bit more on that. Yeah. So I, I think I've mentioned Thomas Keating in a video, which I don't, I can't think of what it was. Yeah. I, don't, <laughs> I was about to chime in, but it's like, but they asked him, you know, what are the, what are the stages of the spiritual life? And he said, the first stage is there is no God, which is, uh, so then the second stage is there is a God. You come to some sort of faith, mm -hmm. some sort of an awakening. And, and the third is that you, how can I please this God? Which that mm -hmm. would be the purgative way. How can I please this God? Uh, how then, can I get my gold star, yeah. so to speak? And he says, and then the last stage is, he skips the illuminative. Uh, <laughs> but he says the last stage is there is no God again because you and this and the divine are one. Mm. So there is no separation between the two. So which, which is all the, and the paradox is that's always the case. Yeah. Exactly. You, us and the divine are always connected but, as one, but the purgative way. Yeah. Are the, is the detachment from worldly, uh, ambitions. Uh, it's, it's taking a steps in your life to, uh, what's classically known as repentance mm. to turn away from, Things that uh, are hurting others, things of the flesh, uh, things of the flesh, <laughs> indulgences, the pleasures, uh, addictions, mm. that kind of thing, and so, so yeah, and I, I would say, and that's important, definitely important, uh, but what can happen is if you stay in that stage too long, then you you begin to uh, 
become judgmental. You become mm-hmm. a judgmental asshole. And then you hook up with other judgmental assholes and you form whole churches together and become uh, a really uh, blight on humanity. <laughs> well, and I, and I think I wish the rapture would come and take <laughs> those righteous people away. <laughs> I think the problem occur, at least from my observation, is when you start trying to project. So like the things I feel like I need to cut out of my life to get closer to God. The problem comes in my estimation is when I start projecting that onto somebody oh, yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. I think, it, I think it's a very, obviously you need mentors and people to help guide you through it. Yeah. Um, but it's, if someone came and asked me, right, about the things I do versus me projecting onto yeah. that person, like, oh, you shouldn't do X, Y, and Z. And it's, you know, this, once again, back to the recovery thing, I don't give a shit if people drink. You know what I mean? What I know about drinking is when I put it inside of me, yeah, there's a problem. <laughs> you know, and I have I have almost a decade, you know, I drank for nine years. So I have almost a decade where I can go back very systematically and point to all the times, yeah. you know. So then if I went around and be like, you know, you're you're at home enjoying your Guinness. And I'm like, why are you drinking that, David? Yeah. What do you, don't you know that clouds your mind? You know what I mean? And like right. start projecting it. <laughs> like you said, the judgmental asshole. You're like, all right, yeah. get the so fuck out of my house. We can't dude. be friends anymore. <laughs> yeah. So but so you can you can extend that example out ad infinitum, right? Like Right, yeah. Because our human mind does that. Mm-hmm. So so personally, yeah, uh, when I was twelve, I had an awakening experience of Christ. Uh and that definitely became my focus was how to be righteous, how to be mm. pure, how to get my uh, sexual uh, energies under control and, and suppressed um, at a hyper sense of uh, a, a hyper scrutinizing conscience as a result, uh, living under the shadow of, of massive guilt um, <laughs> and that kind of thing, all, all the way until probably into my at least my mid twenties. I saw a great meme today. It said guilty pleasure question mark. No, I just enjoy my pleasures. I'm not Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was, yeah. So it was, and definitely, yeah. Judgmental attitude towards those that were indulging in those things freely mm-hmm. while I could not yeah. and did not. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, well, and I think it goes back, you know, obviously, not necessarily the judgmental part, but the the first aspect of it is like you were doing that by your choosing. Like you had this awakening yeah, and you decided sure. like, oh, I'm going to take the, you know, this purity route or whatever, you know, however yeah. you want to describe it. And then, the, you know, the problem <laughs> and it's human nature, right? To like want others around you to be the same, you know, to do the same thing. So I think it's right. very, you know, especially, you know, you said you were 12. So especially in those teenage years as you were, growing be like well why aren't these people doing this stuff yeah like uh there was an example my parents were out of town a teenager at the time and my younger brother uh had a stay at home or a stay over the night stay stay the night over girlfriend and so we're the only ones in the house at the time so i refused to be in a house of sin (laughs) and so i slept in the backyard (laughs) it's true but hold on (laughs) this is the important part did you did you tell on it 
Uh, I don't think so. No, not that time. <laughs> yes. But I'm sure I told all my righteous friends of course. that. Yeah. Your church friends. Yeah, for like, sure. Guess, from, guess what I did this weekend? Yeah. Guess what I didn't do? You know, that kind of <laughs> I slept in the backyard to avoid the, the house of sin. That's yeah. so great. Oh, and I really believed it, by the way. Of it, course. It, was very, of course. it wasn't like it was something I made up. And it was, uh, you know, I thought that was what was required. That was the purgative way for me, you know. Well, and I think that going back to what you were saying about the people, other people doing that and staying in that that place and starting church, you know, that whole chain yeah. of reaction, they they believe it too. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they, yeah. it, it's not like, I mean, in some cases, people do have um, malicious malicious intent, but a lot of times um, with some of these, especially you know, when it comes to the the matters of the spirit and the soul. People really believe this stuff, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And they feel it's their job to project it's very that important. onto yeah. Marcia, others. Marsha and I dated for four years. Uh, we'd met two years before that. And yeah, we maintained our virginity all the way to marriage, you know. And uh, and so, and that was extremely important to us. Now it's kind of like a big whoop. You get a sticker. Yeah. <laughs> you get a gold star on your shirt and you could say, you know. So it was just... Yeah, that, those purity codes, mm -hmm. and they can become, like I said, they they can be very helpful, but at the same time, they could be very uh, detrimental to your to your uh, life, yeah. really, and and your relationships with others as well. Of course, so, yeah. yeah. Well, especially when people are taking advantage of that situation, because they're, at least in my my opinion, like when you're on this spiritual path, if someone's looking at you at, like a mentor, and you're you're using some of these things to manipulate and. Yeah. Try to control, then it, you know it, it can get sideways, which um, we did in the church for sure. Yeah, right. That, yeah, I mean, yeah, but it, it happens in other contexts too. You know what I mean? Like if you can find a way to, and that's really, in my opinion, the whole obsession with uh, conservative, uh, right wing uh, nationalist Christians is that uh, their their obsession with homosexuals and drag queens. You know that I don't know if you knew that, but there's They've basically declared war on the drag queens. RuPaul is the greatest threat to Western civilization uh, to them. And uh, even though they are, they're the ones watching this show, uh, the, what's that show? It's been on for 50 I no, years. I've literally it's, it's never watched advertised it. every, uh, the drag, it's a drag, RuPaul's drag race or something. I don't think it's, it's a, very popular. I don't think it's a drag race. That's, no, it's that's not race that. cars. I don't know what I'm talking you're, about. You're aging yourself. Anyway. <laughs> But, uh, and so, I, th I think what it is really about is that our own sexuality is a deep mystery. Mm -hmm. It's a profound mystery. And in their inability to control or to uh, understand their own, the mystery of their own sexuality, mm -hmm. they project judgment on others who are different from them. Right. Or maybe they're just closeted themselves. That often <laughs> happens as well. And yeah, again, it's this interior conflict, right? Well, I don't think, I don't necessarily think, well, it might be a closeted thing, but I think it's like, if you, if you turn, so instead, if it was, instead of it being drag queens reading to the kids, right? Like there's yeah. been those, if it was a stripper from a gentleman's club dressed up like that, reading to the kids, yeah. they would have the same problem with it because it once again revol revolves around sexuality right yeah, yeah so i don't think it has to do i don't think the war is on drag queens i think it's on sexuality specifically yeah it just happens to be 
right now in pop, you know, in popular culture, that's, those are the things that are being seen, right? Well, cause it's a convenient <laughs> scapegoat. It's a very small portion of the, you know, the whole population. And that's what, that's what fascists do. <laughs> they, they pick a, a small population group and demonize them so that they can gain powers basically. Anyway. Um, but it's not to negate the entire purgative way. <laughs> there does need to come some right, detachments. There, there does need to become some attitude adjustments. Uh, that your life isn't about consumerism and making more money yeah. at the expense of others. Uh, your life isn't about using others for sexual pleasure mm -hmm. and, and objectifying people, uh, objectifying uh, the opposite sex. Um, you know, so or the same sex or material. Yeah. Yeah. Same, you know what I mean? Yeah, it goes, I mean. it goes, it goes back to that sexuality. Thing yeah. It goes, it goes across or defining your whole life by what you own and, and the mm -hmm. brands you wear. Uh, and, and I think some, that that's the purgative ways to detach from those things. Yeah. And, and I think to walking a fine line, cause when you get into that judgmental projecting, you know, things that you're, you're it's going downhill at that point. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But being able to like speak up, like, you know, if someone asks me, oh, do you drink? I say no. You know what I mean? And right. being able to like articulate some of these different things. Um, yeah. Like in your case, you know what I mean? You, you were going through some of those purity things because of the awakening effect right. that it had. Or you had an awakening and then you wanted to follow this path. Yeah. Right? And I think being able to articulate those things are extremely important for someone, you know, for others to have if they want to, if they want to participate in that. Right. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. the one in recent history for me is fasting. You know, yeah. I don't go around telling people they should fast, yeah. but when I do fast or participate in that, if someone asks me about it, I talk to them about it. Right. right. Like, yeah. and, and just tell them the things I understand and know, and which is very little. Um, but it's been helpful for me over the last several years, Yeah, you know, but not, but not feeling like I got to go out and be like, Oh, why, why do you eat every day? That's what I do. <laughs> Sinner. You, you need to fast. You know, I've never, I've never approached it in that way. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I, I mean, I'm sure there's been times where I've, I've not done that, but where I have approached people in a, in a judgmental way. But when it comes to my spiritual practices, that's yeah. the fine line I try to walk and participate in. Um, so sort of the next thing on this evolution is this idea of, of um, the illuminative. And so maybe you could lay the, the groundwork of what the, the, the idea around that and the sort of the step from the purgatory purgative to the illuminative. Yeah. So, so the purgative would be the wanting to be liberated from your, for lack of a better word, your sinfulness mm. and the, your worldliness, uh, to be free from the, your addictions, uh, or as Thomas Keating better calls it, your programs for happiness, to be so over-identified with those things, mm. whatever your own personal program for happiness is. Mm -hmm. uh, so so purgative, the purgative way is, is a uh, breaking away, a deliverance from... Mm. Whereas the illuminative is a drawing forward. So it's a drawing into the, the heart of God, mm. drawing into the things of the divine, uh, fostering a sense of awe, fostering a sense of reverence, uh, 
what's also classically called consolations of the Con- spirit. Consolations. Consolations, where you where you actually begin to feel uh, pleasure in okay. prayer. Okay. Pleasure in fasting. You feel the presence of God. Okay. And you and you and it feels good. You feel the peace. Right. It's tangible. Uh, you feel love. You feel loved as well. Mm-hmm. And and the, these are consolations. These okay. are these are uh, feelings uh, that are very real. And that's right. the illuminative way. So so instead of uh, being delivered from something, you're actually uh, you know breaking away, being pushed away from something. That's the purgative way. You're being drawn into the the things of God, the righteousness of God. Uh, so so it's that that kind of a thing. You're, it's attraction at this yeah, point. Yeah. So so instead of necessarily doing stuff for the the gold sticker, the gold sticker might come, but it's not. That's not why you're doing it. There's something deeper within calling you yeah. to these to these things to this. Um, and there really is an addictive nature to silence and solitude. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's a negative addiction. I guess if you're if you're avoiding your responsibilities in life mm-hmm. or using it to avoid relationship engagement and that kind of thing, then it it could be. But but it does become something that you you crave and desire mm-hmm. to be alone. It draws you in, you know, that kind of thing. And so uh, it's it's very powerful during that that time. Uh, that illuminative way. And so what, when, um, you, you know, you gave the example of, of the awakening and then, and sort of how you stepped into, uh, the purgative in your teenage years. Can you remember when you first sort of maybe were awakened to, or real, you know, had the realization around that pool towards this, you know, sort of this illuminative way of, of just wanting to, um, connect with with God or that your higher power yeah it was probably in my teen years uh, I just loved writing this I had this it was very dangerous <laughs> looking back I would jump on this 10 speed bicycle I don't know if you they don't I don't think they even make 10 speeds anymore I know, do I they it, I don't know if they do now but I remember mine back in the day I'm talking a very thin narrow tire you know and yeah, yeah. And so I you would, couldn't ride one of those out here. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> so I would ride from northeast from my house in northeast El Paso and ride into Chaparral mm. in the middle of the heat of the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? 20 miles? I have no idea. Something like that. Anyway, uh, you know, this is before phone, yeah. cell phones yeah. and things like that. And there was, I think there was one time I got a flat and I walked, I had to walk home, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I, I would feel this drawing to do that, this mm-hmm. compulsion to do that. And I wasn't, a, I was social. I was very socially active. I was right. in a youth group. Yeah. Um, I was kind of the comedian, you know, usually, uh, of the whatever group, you know, mm-hmm. crowd I was in. Yeah, right. Um, I was in in high school, you know. I loved journalism, the journal, the you know, the newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, and yearbook, that kind of was, stuff. That's funny. I was I was the yearbook guy. Yeah, yeah. me too. I was. I, was <laughs> I, I think I well, we didn't say it on the podcast, but I found I came across my senior yearbook, and uh, yeah, I was flipping through that. I just hadn't thought about the fact that I I was on the yearbook for those my last two years in high school. So yeah, I definitely didn't want to be the editor. That was. 
a tough job. You Ronda, did or did it? No, I did oh, not yeah, want to. Ronda Russ, she was like a superstar <laughs> yeah. at Parkland High School, 1987. I wonder if she'll ever hear this. Uh, she three, was our superstar editor, and yeah. I was very glad. I was like, I don't want to do that job. The That's two, too much pressure. The two years of, that I was on, the, the editors, both it was different editors both years. But it was the superstars in the class for sure. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to. Yeah, class. I was happy to be a beat reporter <laughs> and have Ronda Russ tell me, you know, yeah, go take some pictures of the yep. basketball team. Yep. Don't screw it up this time, Morrison. She had a cigar, you know. <laughs> Parker. <laughs> I definitely got uh, some pictures rejected because I went and took them drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but so you like, were using digital, right? No, 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 no. It was you guys were film. using yeah. the dark room and yeah. everything. Well, we had we used film cameras, but we used a company in town to um, what's it called? Develop them. But no, we were we were pre. I mean, I think digital cameras existed, but it was they were super expensive. So like it was still yeah. a novelty thing right. at that point. Anyway, no, I yeah, and so that was I actually you know segueing into that. I would enjoy going in uh, after school, go in the dark room, spend three, four hours mm. developing stuff, and then right. you, and you go out into the surface world, a new world. You know, <laughs> I would listen to B ninety four FM, <laughs> the the latest and greatest pop hits of nineteen eighty five, eighty six, uh, and uh, and would feel very yeah, would feel very addicted to that, and then and then going to my social life and right. the whole you know where. So it wasn't like I was a loner or anything like that, but I craved those times where I was able to carve out solitude. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the beginning of the illuminative mm -hmm. way for me. It was an attraction kind of thing. So, yeah. And, and, and sort of to fast forward and, and give perspective, how, what does that look like today? What is that? Um, how do you encounter the illuminative today? Uh, I don't anymore, really, that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. um, I'm shuffling through my brain here uh now i it, there's there's it, it it fell out for me at some point and do you remember when that happened roughly? no it had to have been when we came out here mm. uh i just simply didn't have the need to spend hours in prayer anymore mm. and i think that happened when we came out here yeah uh it was uh our prayers stopped being focused on bringing revival. That was a very Pentecostal obsession. If we could just have revival, if we could just have an awakening. So well, we've documented on this podcast how many hours yeah. your 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 prayer your church prayed. Yeah. We, we you know, every every single week, hours after hours after yeah, hours. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that need just sort of fell away and I didn't really question it. Right. I didn't really it just kind of happened. It was kind of went on to the next thing, which was just kind of life itself. So, well, yeah. And I, I mean, that obviously goes right in, into what we're talking about, but sort of that next term within the evolution uh, to the unitive. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because there, because there is an underlying, I think the Buddhist, I'm probably misunderstanding. I'm probably butchering it, but, but I, I believe the Buddhists have a concept called, Equanimity, which is just a basic sense at all times of, of a, a calmness mm -hmm. and a peace. Uh, and it's not like because you're doing any, it's just, it's just reverberating around you. Even in times, and sometimes especially in times of crisis, uh, you feel that underneath it all. 
and it, and it never goes away. Um, and so maybe in the Christian tradition, that would be uh, the monastic text, uh, practicing the presence of God. Mm. There comes a point where you're not aware that you're practicing the presence of God because the presence of God is just the air is with you. around you and in you. And so you don't really... It's, and your life becomes the faith. It's, there's not like your life and then there's faith. Mm-hmm. But it just all becomes kind of blended together, which would be the unitive way. Mm-hmm. And it can be jarring for you at the beginning, at that stage, in that experience. It can be uh, discomforting as well. Because then when you do your old practices, you don't feel mm-hmm. the consolations anymore. You don't feel the, the influx of power of the spirit. You don't feel the influx of love, of being loved, uh, let alone love for Jesus. You know, you're just, Mm -hmm. so yeah, there came a point where the songs of passionate worship songs that we would sing. uh, I just kind of felt like, man, if Jesus hears me sing another song, how great he is. I think he's just going to die of boredom at the father's right hand, (laughs) right there in heaven and not not resurrect. There will be no resurrection for the prince this time. And so that kind of what I think it feeling, be, you know, I think it can be a lonely feeling too. It's yes, yes, be, very much so. You know, because the first, you know, I I say steps, but we've established it's not necessarily that. But the first two things we talked about, you know, the purgative, you can point to something, right? Like I'm not doing yeah, this, or, yeah. or I am doing this. Yeah. The illuminative, you can say, oh, I'm feeling drawn, I'm feeling called, I'm do, you know, I'm yeah, sitting, yeah. In, you know, I'm. I'm Doing three hours of prayer every yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. You know, I'm um, going to the poor. I'm yeah, yeah. I'm serving people. I'm yeah. And then this unitive, you 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 still you know you might still be engaging in those things, but it's uh, an emptiness is not the right word, but an obvious shift has happened. Yeah, and it it could feel as though you're losing, or well, you said I think it was the last podcast, backsliding. Yeah, yeah. I think we talked about it at the meeting. Okay, could Someday. you could you describe? Because I, I feel like that kind of fits with this unitive, because we are feeling creatures, right? We we we're creatures right, of, yeah. of habits and feelings and and yeah, no, that's a very it's a crisis point in especially in charismatic circles. That's that's the big uh, criticism of them is that uh, you know it's not your faith isn't based on feeling. That's that's the mm-hmm. criticism, and so. So yeah, so we spent a lot of time in our youth and 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 young people especially so well, I don't feel God anymore. I don't mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. love. I don't feel power and it's a crisis point. Yeah. Yeah. And as it should be. If it shifts, yeah, if it yeah. shifts for you like that, if you you know, if you're yeah. if you're so disconnected that you're like, "Ah, whatever." Um, but you kind of you get to that point eventually, but Yeah. And so yeah, you know what? It really was a revelation to me in my early 30s. I began reading these texts. Uh, Teresa Vavila, I, I remember I just had this memory uh, where when you hit that crisis point, it's actually the, the sense of absence of God's presence is actually the invitation to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's not, whereas before in the charismatic world, it's generally seen as sin in your life is somehow blocking God. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's, and so that, that was the crisis point. And it broke for me at that point when I realized when you came across that text. Yeah. 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 
and I didn't believe her fully because she said yeah. something. It was some line where uh, Teresa Avila, I think it was in the the seven the I was gonna say the seven story mountain the 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 mansions. Uh, what is it? Her book called uh, a man mansions of many rooms. Many rooms. Uh, I'll I'll look it up. Yeah, I'm confusing with the Merton book. But before um, before we go too far back down that yeah. that path, can you describe what this idea of backsliding? Oh, is? backsliding. Yeah, in the at least in. In Christian evangelicalism, backslide is going back to uh, the way that you were before the purgative. So you go back, and usually it's overt sins that they've identified. Mm. So, for example, in a Southern Baptist, at least maybe not nowadays, but in the older days, uh, and Pentecostals too, if you went back to the dance hall, (laughs) (laughs) and I guess in the... and modern, you know, oh, they went back to the club, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're dancing they again. They went back to drinking. Dancing. Uh, or you go back to drinking, yeah, partying. Uh, it's usually those kinds of things. Uh, using drugs again. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it really should be more like uh, you go back to uh, trying to make money, but they, but they make those people elders of their churches. So I don't know. Well, they got to they got to pay that rent somehow, <laughs> yeah, pay yeah. that mortgage somehow. Exactly. Uh, From what I can so, see, it's so that's called, uh, the interior castle. Interior castle, yeah. That's the mansions. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, so she said, Saint Teresa of Avila in the interior castle basically says that when your prayers feel dry and empty, that's actually where real prayer begins. And it and it was jarring to read that, and I was you know, but I also didn't believe it, mm-hmm. but I wanted to, and so uh, and, and and so, thirty years later, I realized, yeah, it's tr- it's a trustworthy saying. She's right. Well, and I think it's it's a beautiful when you're in that moment of crisis, um, you know, and not I'm not talking obviously about a real life crisis. I'm talking about the the spiritual crisis you might have is. If you keep seeking, you're going to come across these things that you don't believe, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But you hope is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. such a weird dichotomy to be in in that moment. Yeah. You know, of like, so going back to what I mentioned earlier, this idea of fasting. I became, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, very fascinated with it because I'd never tried it. Um, and I had heard you talk about it. You know, I heard people here at Desert Rain, Jacob. Um, different people discuss f- this idea of fasting, but it was it had never really crossed my radar, right? Right. So I started re well, I tried it one time and got like 36 hours in. I was like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> Why yeah. am I doing this? Yeah. You know, and, and so I started reading about it um in a spiritual like books about spirituality, you know, not yeah, I'm not yeah. talking about like intermittent fasting and and things of that nature of like on from a health perspective, right? Yeah. Um and then once I got some insight, as I was reading these things, it's like, nah, that that it seems far fetched. Yeah. But now that I have a little bit of background, I'm gonna try again, and sort of you know sort of this path, you know, I've been on in and around fasting where, you know, the purgative like, oh, yeah. I fasted today, I did X a number of hours, you know what I mean, and then right. it, it shifted, and I couldn't even tell you when it shifted, but I would look forward to fasting. You know, and the time, like how long it lasted didn't really matter. You know, sometimes I would have really good day, like feel good. Sometimes yeah. I feel 
really bad and have to, you know, have to take a couple hours and just chill out in the afternoon. Um, and now I, I, you know, I think I'm somewhere in the illuminative, unitive kind of, you know, um, cause I'm not indifferent to it, but it's not, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not this, it, it's just different. It's shifted yeah. in some way, shape or form. And so I've, I've sort of gone through a mini thing with that specifically in and around fasting. And, and you could do it around any, anything, any spiritual yeah. practice, anything that you engage with. Um, and kind of going back to this idea that all of this stuff we're talking about is, is a continual evolution of ebbs and flows and shifts. And, 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 you know, like you said, with the, um, illuminative thing, it just falls away at some point and you yeah. don't even necessarily notice it. And like I said, it, it could be that way. And then at times it's a crisis point. Mm -hmm. And that is the point of John of the Cross's poem, the dark night of the soul originally written in, Spanish, along with uh, Interior Castle with Teresa Bob, is written in Spanish. Right, right. They were contemporaries in the 1500s. She was his mentor, uh, and so, so yeah, it's it's about this crisis of movement from uh, a spirituality of the senses to intimacy with God. That and that is a long, complicated process to have. A spirituality of that's sensual, that's that's uh, sensible, mm. not in the sensible like makes sense, but is well, yes, makes sense that, but it's it's your five senses are there as well uh, to a a a transition to intimacy with God, which is at what point you can you say you're intimate with God? Uh, sure, you could point to purgative things, right? But eventually, th those things don't work at mm. this at that level anymore. So that's the crisis of the dark night of the soul. And I think too, it's to, not depression by the way. Right. Yeah. I think to the, uh, to elaborate on this idea of the senses, it makes sense to the individual, but someone from the outside looking in like, you know, like society looking in at the individual, it, it might seem to be the total opposite of sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I mean, how, how you're, how you're engaging with that, um, that divine unity. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I made a joke last night. Uh, so I just celebrated 15 years of not drinking and I made a joke. Congratulations. Last night. Thank you, sir. <laughs> but I made the joke. I said, you too, if you too stay sober for 15 years, you might end up looking like Rasputin in the <laughs> middle of the desert, which I never was never part of this plan. <laughs> Yeah, you didn't want to be back in New Mexico, right? Oh, yeah. If you would have told me 15 days into being sober what my life would look like today, I would have gone back drinking. <laughs> I was like, no, nah, I, don't, I, I don't want that. But this process changes you. Yes. You know what I mean? And it, I, Because I, I love my life today. Like the life I have today compared to the life I, you know, it's, it's been a constant evolution in a good way. Not that everything has always gone good or quote unquote my yeah. way, right? Like there's still, life still punches you in the face. But sort of what you were talking about, that equanimity or that contentment has has creeped into my life in such a way that even when it's not that great, um, I'm still grateful. Like I'm still excited about what 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 my life is, has... Uh, 
bloomed into. I don't. I, I, that sounds corny. I don't. I don't know how else I would explain it right this moment. Um, so with that being, I mean, that kind of leads into this idea of of a transformation and being being transformed yeah. and um, why not why, but engaging in these three things, you get to this point of like, oh my god, like wow. You yeah, know, just sort of being blown away by the divine. So maybe you could um, sort of articulate your your understanding or your idea around this this idea of, of transformation and yeah being being uh, you know our being touched at, at the deepest level, right? The DNA level of of this divine union that that we we have. Yeah. So transformation is. It's very tricky because it, if it's the goal for you to be changed, usually it will elude you, you know. The sand will fall through your fingers. Exactly. So you give yourself to the process of, of the purgative and the illuminative and the unitive. You just simply give yourself to the process, which what the unitive is all about. You just kind of surrender it and you just, and you, you and your life and your faith are unified. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just your life is your faith. Uh, when you smell, uh, flowers, that is the presence of God. Now you didn't, you don't have to go to some mountaintop, you know, retreat to go experience. It's, it's in the smallest of things. So that's the unitive. And if you give yourself to the process, then yeah, transformation occurs, uh, which is, you know, a greater compassion in your life, a greater humility. And again, you can't cause those things to happen. Uh, you can't you can't make yourself more humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't uh, make yourself more compassionate. Um, I think in a modern sense, you also become aware of your if, if you if you grew up as an American and middle class, particularly white male, you begin to realize your your pure, the privilege that you've grown up with, mm-hmm. uh, and so that gives you a greater perspective of of. Uh, other people's stories and situations uh, just because it worked, you know, that that's a famous or not famous. That's a common thing. If it worked for me, it'll work for yeah, you. You know, yeah. you stop generalizing and reducing people, uh, objectifying people. And, uh, and, and, and so you begin to, you know, and it's, uh, I think I've quoted this before, but it's like Gandhi said, you know, if, if you're looking for God, if you're searching for God, and can't see God in the next person that you encounter, then you need to stop. <laughs> you need to give up, something like that. Uh, well, think, so that's kind of the transformation process. Well, I think the beautiful thing too, like uh, as far as what you're talking about, is is being much more comfortable to sit in the um, the unknown, the complexities yeah. of life. Yeah, for you sure. Know what I mean, kind of of. Instead of generalizing, you know, because yeah, I've been guilty of it. Obviously, being like, well, X and Y worked for me. Why yeah. didn't it work for you? Yeah. You know what I mean. And and flipping it to being like, um, this is what worked for me. And but and then following with, I don't know if it's going to work for you. Yeah, like, it may that, not, and it, you need to be okay yeah, with that. Like this yeah. shit might not work. Because, you know, and also being okay with watching something work for someone else. Yeah, trying the same thing and it not not working for me. And just being like, well, that wasn't, that wasn't part of my, my story. You know, that yeah. wasn't part of my life story or whatever you want to say. You know, a recent one, you know, I, you and I have talked about this and I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, but like coding, 
I was like coding, like computer oh, programming, oh, like oh, okay, still yeah, consulting yeah. stuff. I thought you meant coding as in the the painkiller. <laughs> Tylenol, Tylenol been, with coding. I've been drinking a bunch of coding. <laughs> no, um, I loved to do it, but I sucked. <laughs> and mm. even, you know, and even the with the training and everything else, I got, you know, I got better. Yes, I made progress, right. but I, it's still, I, it, it wasn't my forte, right? Like there right. was a certain point where multiple people had to sort of that moment of like, yeah, this is not working out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and just being okay with it. You know, yeah. even though I watch some, you know, I'm still good friends with some of the people that I, you know, some of my coworkers and just watching them excel yeah. at computer programming, you know, and, and not being jealous too, right? Like getting a place in my life, because there would be a place in my life where I would have been mad and like jealous of them and like right, right. would have said, you know, snide remarks either to their face or behind their back. But it's still, I, I can celebrate them. Like, dude, yeah, that's exactly. amazing. Like, you know what I mean? I, I can't believe you're, you're able to do that. It just, and then... Not that I do that in all areas of my life, but it's this growth, right? Yeah. It's just, it's just some places have been transformed. Some places have been not or have not. Um, so yeah, that came, that came to mind when, when you were talking about that. Well, just, this is what I did. Why didn't, why didn't yeah. you do that? You know, and, and how simplistic and, and. Reductive. Reductive and, and unhelpful. Yeah, wow. <laughs> actually hurtful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. To tell that to to tell an insomniac, you know, someone has a legitimate. That, just go to sleep. Just yeah. Why don't out. you just be still and go to sleep? It worked for if it worked for me. Uh, Take melatonin. That'll help. Yeah. You. Exactly. You just don't don't freaking do that to people who are suffering. Oh, shoot. You know? Yeah. And and if someone's not over it, so to speak, uh, and and you never get over a tragedy. Right. Right. Uh, and to, to tell them to get over it somehow. Yeah. I had somebody tell me one time, this was maybe a couple of months after my brother was tragically killed and he was praying for me and he said, the Lord says you're, you're no Job, so stop your crying. And I realized this guy's not my friend. Wow. And that's, we had been close friends and wild. I realized this isn't my friend, you know, he's, he's uh, this is not, this is not good, you know, uh, and so, whereas, whereas the purgative me would have submitted to that and said, yes, that's right. That's correct. Uh, and, yeah, I'm not Job. I'll try to not be Job. <laughs> so then you just lock yourself in the bathroom and cry in there. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and spiral into a depression. Which, which is, I did. <laughs> yeah. I remember being in the bathtub yeah. having a crisis. <laughs> um, it's a good I, place to have a crisis, the bathtub. And I, th I think one thing to point out too around the transformative is, and I think we've kind of already touched on it, but even within each one of these steps, there's small transformations that happen yeah. that um, will affect you in some way, shape or form. And uh, sometimes other people will notice it before the individual. Yeah, goes. for sure. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's the way that you engage with others. Yeah. 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 I know um, for myself, but also witnessing it in other people, um, you know, this idea of recovery where people, it, it, it's most pronounced in the first year because, mm -hmm. you know, because you've been living a certain way for so long. And then all of a sudden these, these changes are starting to happen. But yeah. I can remember, and I, I wish I could give a, a real concrete example, but I can remember someone coming up to me, you know, I hadn't drank in like six or nine months and, and mentioning something about my personality or a change in me that hadn't even registered in my brain yet. Right. Because mm. I was just, 
in the middle of changing, right? Yeah, yeah. But other people noticing it and, um, you know, and, and I think that's one of the beautiful parts. We talk about it pretty often on this podcast about this idea of being surrounded by community, right? And having a community help you grow in these spiritual matters because those people around you are going to notice some of these things um, long before the individual notices yeah. them. Yeah, it's like you were mentioning yesterday. Uh, you said people in, in recovery, early in their recovery, are oh. will be upset that the people around them don't trust them. Yeah, why don't you tell that story? Well, just, just this idea of, of someone, whether it's an employer or a significant other or a parent, um, just not having, you know, what it, it could be anything. You know, it could be a key to a house or... You know, if an employer like access to the petty cash or, you know, they're extra critical on their expense reports, um, any, any of these sort of things where trust is involved, right? And then trust is lost. Um, early on, sometimes people will bitch about that. Like, oh, so, you know, my significant other doesn't trust me or, my, you know, and it's, it's important to point, you know, this is kind of the opposite side of it, you know, where it's, it's a long process where it's like, well, how long did you did you drink? They're like 15 years. I was like, okay, how long have you not drank? And they're like six months. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you're going <laughs> to, yeah, you gave them 15 years of shitting on them. You know, assuming you knew the person that whole time, uh, it's going to take a little bit more than, you know, a, a handful of months to, to gain back yeah. where, where they're comfortable with it. And that, you know, for the person, Who's, who's changing their life. You got to get to a point of ex acceptance, but even having compassion for, for the parent, for the yeah. significant other, for the employer to be like, uh, Hey man, like they've been burned a couple of times. Like, you know, they'll come around, like just yeah. do it, handle your business and, and they'll come around. And, and I think that's true. I mean, we're giving extreme examples, you know, but I think that's true in a, in a lot of cases that trusting the process. You you know yeah. you you said something earlier about um, if you're striving for if the only reason you're engaging is to get this transformation, it might slip through your fingertips. Yeah, you know, like sand, you know, at the beach if you're trying to grab it, you know, and, and back to recovery, if someone shows up and this the god thing is off limits it's like no i'm not gonna believe in god there's no divine anything yeah. blah 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 one of the things i try to lean into is like okay do you believe that the people here have changed their life through those 12 steps and if someone is like well yeah i think i think you know that seems reasonable i was like okay can you trust that process yeah don't trust god don't trust a higher power. Trust that process. And if it works, I don't always say this part, but if it works, you're going to have some kind of spiritual experience, yeah. you know, um, and not, and I'm not saying you're going to believe in God at the end of it. That's, right, that's right. not necessarily true either. You might still be atheist and agnostic, but you're going to have a bigger perspective on this idea of trusting a spiritual process, yeah. which, which is what I believe the 12 steps are. And what I believe we're talking about today is a spiritual process. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the transformation we're talking about is 
you, 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 it's, you basically have a surrendered attitude. Mm. You know, it's not a surrendering discipline. Mm-hmm. You're just, you just, you know, the, the crease has been folded so many times that it's just a loose crease in your soul. And, uh, just part of your life. Yeah. So Parker Palmer in his book, uh, a hidden wholeness, he he talks about it being with a dying person. We begin to treat each other Mm. this way because a lot of things drop when you're engaging with someone that's dying. Uh, the fact that they owe you five bucks may not matter. (laughs) Right. Unless you're Larry David. (laughs) Like, hey, can you Venmo that to me real quick? <laughs> yeah. Can you, can you hit the PayPal? <laughs> you know, Larry David or George Costanza, who is Larry David? You know, I never really got that a real apology from you. <laughs> I know, I know you're dying. Yeah. Let's uh, let's let's settle some scores real quick. But but I think this is this is a, a picture of what this transformation looks like of how we engage each other, how we engage people, and and it, yeah, in his book, a, a hidden wholeness. He writes, uh, when we sit with a dying person, we gain two critical insights into what it means to be alone together. First, we realize that we must abandon the arrogance that often distorts our relationships. The arrogance of believing that we have the answer to the other person's problem. So when we sit with a dying person, we understand that what is before us is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be honored. So we begin to treat people that way. Yeah. They're not problems to be solved, but mysteries to be honored. Uh, and you apply that to your children. That's an amazing thing. That could, that's transformative, yeah, right? Sure. As we, and then he goes on, as we find a way to stand respectfully on the edge of that mystery, we, we start to see that all of our relationships would be deepened if we could play, if we could play the fixer role less frequently. And then, he, and then his second thing, you want me to continue? Or, uh, second, when we sit with a dying person, we realize that we must overcome the fear that often distorts our relationships. The fear that causes us to turn away when the other reveals something too vexing, painful, or ugly to, to bear. Death may be all of this and more, and yet we hold the dying person in our gaze, our hearts, our prayers, knowing that it would be disrespectful to avert our eyes that the only gift we have to offer in this moment is our undivided attention. Um, and so simply being present to people. And that's a transformative result of those three processes. And they can happen in any, uh, every diverse way of, of yeah. as diverse as the human race is, you know. And they continue to happen. Yeah. Even when you have uh, a unitive experience, you're transformed. Yeah. Some other aspect of your life is going to pop up where um, doing the uh, embrace or not embracing it, engaging it at the pertinent yeah. level would have, you know, have to happen, you know, because yeah. that's just the nature of life. Like something that bothers me today is not going to necessarily, if, if I'm working with it, right, is not going to bother me 10 years from now. And something that doesn't bother me today might start bothering me six months from now. Yeah. You know, and, and just, that's just the nature of life. Like it's always, it's ever yeah. changing. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's important to, you know, if you get to this quote unquote place of Nirvana and, and the unitive moment and, um, yeah. 
you know, you think you're flying high. It's like, well, just, you know, just give it five minutes and <laughs> something else will yeah. poke up and poke you in the side and be, and be like, oh, what, the, what the hell is this? <laughs> no, it's, it happens. It's like, uh, the song, uh, uh, the sound of silence by Simon and Garfunkel, you know, the, the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls. And, you know, uh, and so I was watching a, 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 a little documentary on YouTube. I don't know if you've heard of that YouTube. Oh yeah. Uh, In fact, if anyone out there has heard of YouTube, <laughs> search Dreamwalker way on YouTube. And, please. And, and thank you. And check us out. <laughs> Subs- like, and subscribe, <laughs> like please. And thank you. Yes. I forgot. Like, and subscribe. <laughs> Anyways, your documentary. Yeah. Last night I was watching this cause you know, I'm a disturbed individual <laughs> and it was the last, it was the New York times last night of using the old linotype mechanical machines to print the paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had people in there and they're below the metaphors are, are amazing. They're they're like three stories below the the street level. They're down in the basement. They start at uh I think they come in to work at 10 p.m. and begin to yeah, yeah. Right. and so they were they were aligning these very complicated process of melting metal to create the the letters okay. to create another metal sheet that would become each paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was their last night of doing that before it moved electronically. And they had done this this machine. I think one of them said it was a hundred years old. Wow, that's and, incredible. And the way that they were just working, yeah. they're in this zone. Yeah. And one of them was uh, that he was going to go. Most of them had had learned the new process, mm. but some of them were. Uh, this one guy was 75 years old. This was 1978. And so he had started, he had worked there for 50 years and, uh, and then he was 75 and was retiring that night. It was his last night. And he says goodbye to the machine <laughs> and turns it off. But when they're engaged in the process, when you watch it, it's, you could see just, they're in a contemplative yeah. mode. They're in that purgative, illuminative and unitive way. Uh, and, 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 it's an amazing thing. So, so it happens everywhere is what I'm trying to say. Even on a dirty, you know, dirty print shop of the New York Times, you know, so where everyone was smoking. I think that's it. <laughs> we hit the hour already. Oh, huh? Wow. But that story, I think, I think it wraps it. Yeah. Unless you have any, from... any last thoughts to throw out there. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. Uh, thank you, all the listeners. Oh, wait, we did forget the 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 final way, the pinching way. <laughs> and that's, but, but it's important to, to point we'll out. We'll talk that's about that not, another time. That's not John of the Cross. That's John of Riadoso. Yes, the pinche <laughs> my, way. My, my middle name's John, so it fits. And I was born in Riadoso, so. Uh, yeah, anyone interested in the pinche way, just uh, give me a call, give me an email, and I'll, I'll enlighten you on it. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Morrison. Thank you, Mr. Mason. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Danny West, thank you. He's a, He does the editing and uh, sound engineering. You hear in the background, Monk Drums. That's Jacob Nedia. Thank you, Jacob. Um, Desolate, or not Desolate, well, yeah, Desolate Beauty, but dreamwalkerway.com to pick up your copy of Desolate Beauty. Uh, search Desolate Beauty in the Amazon Kindle store uh, if you'd like electronic version. Um, YouTube, like we mentioned, Dreamwalker Way. Uh, we have uh, translation, American Sign Language translation. And am I forgetting anything? Is that it? I think that's it. So thanks everyone for listening. Until next week.